Okay, well, I am here back behind the mic as podcast host. I haven't done this for a little while, so I'm going to do my best and we're going to have a really engaging, exciting conversation. I've got some beautiful humans around the room here with me and let's get going. So I'm Bev Atfield. I'm a partner at Within based in San Diego in California in the USA. And with me today are Sarah Shire and Angel Chelik. Sarah is the founder and executive director of Compassionate, a nonprofit organization and global social movement whose mission is to inspire daily compassionate actions and attitudes. Angel is the founder of Work Better Wellness, a San Diego-based company that provides individual and group health coaching, fitness classes, and wellness workshops to clients both locally and domestically. And I am very fortunate to be based in San Diego with these lovely humans. I'm also very fortunate to call them friends. We've gotten to know each other since I moved to San Diego. And we have this beautiful overlap of this professional interest and this desire to help humans be better in their workplaces and to help craft better workplaces to support those humans. But we also have this beautiful overlap of, of friendship and zest for life and a desire to just, you know, really embrace each other as people and really feel like we have beautiful humans in our lives, I think is a, is a commonality. I don't know, maybe I can't speak for them, but that, that's how I feel about them. So welcome, Angel. Welcome, Sarah. Beautiful to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Bev. It's so great to be here. And you hit the nail on the head with all of that, what you just said. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, we have quite a cute story. We have a meet cute, I guess, about how the three of us actually met. So I, I don't know, Sarah, do you want to just give a quick, quick look into how we all happened yeah, to meet we each other? Yeah, we were at a an event for folks who are interested in creating better cultures at work. And we just started chatting. I think you all might have been chatting with my boyfriend first. I'm not sure, but you all connected on running and I jumped in there and I didn't really have a lot to add to that conversation. But then we we started talking about the work that we do and realized how much we had in common there. And just we were there was so much laughing and and joking and and it felt great automatically. As as soon as we met, I could tell we would be friends. So it was lovely. Absolutely. And you had actually met your boyfriend at the same <laughs> Yeah, hosted right? by so the same long standing love yeah, relationship with culture, this. <laughs> culture First is the name of the organization, and they host monthly events in San Diego. And so I had been leading a workshop at one of their events in October last year, and that's where I met my boyfriend, Hanson. So. The rest of history well, speaks to the quality of the folks who come to these events. And I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe that sounds like we're tooting our own horn, but I think we're pretty incredible. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and Angel, you and I got to know each other from through a common friend that when we moved to San Diego from Vancouver last year, Angel and I have got a common set of friends and we met on a rooftop last spring and have just gotten to know each other over the last year, which has been beautiful. It's so serendipitous. Absolutely. Yes. Good times with friends and enjoying the San Diego weather and all of the things that our area has to offer. It's lovely, especially with great people. Absolutely. And just to to be able to say we've met each other and knew immediately, Sarah, like you said, we would become friends, but then also realize that we've actually got this strong desire that even though we're coming at this from different angles in the areas of professional expertise we have and experience that we have, 
we all have this really strong desire to shape and change what work is for people and how it's experienced and how people are treated at work and how people treat each other and the things that we can do as leaders in organizations to help people have a better experience in their workday. And I guess that brings us to why, why we're having this conversation today, because as we were sitting around chatting one day with on Sarah's beautiful patio near one of the beaches here in San Diego, we started realizing that we converged around this very pressing topic that is facing society at the moment, which is loneliness. And we started realizing that, well, what does loneliness start to look like when it's not only impacting people in society, when it starts to impact people in their workplace, because you can't put up a wall between how you are at home and how you are in society with how you are in work. And we started talking about the implications of loneliness in the workplace. And based on the research that's come out that was put out by the US Surgeon General recently, we're realizing that loneliness is silently wreaking havoc on people and society, which I know that sounds a bit alarmist, but I think it is perhaps one of the, the the most unaddressed problems that we are going to be facing as society. And it's one of the most urgent conversations that we need to have about how people are doing generally and then taking that down into the context of the workplace is incredibly important because we know how much time people spend at work. So after reading this report, it's a really engaging in-depth report, which is called Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation in 2023. And it's readily apparent that's what going that what is going on in wider society is obviously also impacting people in the workplace. And since the three of us all care about the experience people have at work, we thought that it was important to start a conversation about how to tackle loneliness through the interventions that we each offer from our professional practices to leaders and organizations for the well-being of their people. So that's why we're here having this conversation today. I'm going to invite Angel and, and Sarah to perhaps give me your thoughts on your professional interest and, you know, why you think that what you're doing as a professional with leaders and organizations can actually help us reduce loneliness at work. What's your professional interest in solving this problem? So in my line of work, I help companies develop wellness programs. And from a quick glance, you might think that it would just be looking at physical. Because when we think about wellness programs, we often think about the health packages that come along with that. And while that is a part, and we do offer on-site or remote fitness classes, meditation classes, we focus a lot on workshops around sleep, behavior change, health coaching. But really the importance of what I try to you know, connect with executives and then down the line with employees is to see the interconnectedness of the different areas of well-being. So we can look at physical well-being and see that that can be, as we'll talk in a little bit, I think, a little bit more about the actual physical health outcomes of being socially disconnected or isolated. But really what I want to help employees and companies do is to look at it from a more holistic approach and help people understand that if they're struggling in one area of well-being, it is directly impacting other areas of well-being. So for example, if somebody has disordered eating, uh, that's obviously going to be impacting their physical health, their physical body. 
but that's also going to have an impact on how they perform at work, Mm. especially if they walk into the break room and there's a box of donuts sitting there or they're constantly celebrating through food, right? And then that might impact their emotional well-being and their social well-being because they don't want to have interactions with friends anymore because they're always around these circumstances where they might be mm. overeating or undereating or what you know whatever it is. So really helping people understand that when we can elevate our well-being in all of the eight dimensions of wellness and just to make sure that everybody understands those we're looking at physical well-being, emotional well-being, social well-being, intellectual, environmental, occupational, spiritual, and maybe I missed one more. I forgot. <laughs> I maybe lost I count. It's, yes. it's, it's, it sounds like we have, you know, all the bases covered and the bottom line is that we can't just look at well-being as mm-hmm. physical is the, the point that you're making. And Angel, what I think is really compelling, and, and we we're going to dig into a little bit of the report in a minute, but like there is a real parallel being drawn between the sort of the how the damage of loneliness com- compares to smoking, for example, or some of the other ailments that we see in society as diseases. Mm-hmm. You know, loneliness is sitting there as you know one of the leading, most destructive things that we have in our society, but yet nobody is talking about it. So I love that you're bringing, you're introducing this multi-dimensional approach to well-being, and there are many things that we can look at and, and interventions we can make that all cluster up into that well-being definition. So thank, thank you, Angel. Yes, um, yes of course. Sarah. How about for you? What what do you see in like in your line of work? Why does loneliness and solving it matter to you? Yeah, well, my organization, Compassionate, helps organizations create systems and cultures of compassion so that employees feel connected, they feel valued, they feel cared for. And so we lead trainings for leaders and emerging leaders to help them learn the skills of self-compassion and compassion. If you don't know how to connect with your fellow employees, with fellow leaders, you, well, we know from the report what happens when we're not feeling connected at work. And we need compassion for each other. We need to feel cared for and valued in order to have the positive outcomes of a connected workplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love the connection you're making there between, you know, being compassionate with ourselves and with others is actually part of the, the the texture and the fiber of how we build connected societies, isn't it? And it's that being together with one another in community with one another that actually gives us the opportunity to feel loved and cared for. And that has spillover effects into all sorts of parts of our lives, doesn't it? So beautiful. Okay, well, we're obviously not going to read the report line by line. Um, That would be incredibly boring. But we are going to pull out a few key parts that stood out for all of us. Um, You know, obviously, there's the macro view. This is a report which is, um, you know, the U.S. Surgeon General has prepared after sifting through and aggregating and gathering up all sorts of data points around, you know, this position that we, we have a loneliness and isolation epidemic on our hands. And one of the, the things that really stood out for me was that approximately half of U.S. adults are reporting loneliness with some of the highest rates among young adults, which is 
very concerning because you'd expect young adults are the ones who have the social connection. They are the ones who are involved in all sorts of community and sporting and educational communities. If, if, you know, if you think about the average teenager or college going person. And then the other thing that, that really concerned me was just how loneliness can impact us in our physical bodies. And I'll just read one of the, the, the pieces from the report that is, is very compelling to me that so these estimates around, you know, more than half of U.S. adults experiencing loneliness and multiple other studies indicate that loneliness, loneliness and isolation are more widespread than many of the other ma- major health issues of our day, including smoking, diabetes, obesity, and with comparable levels of risk to health and premature death. And despite such high prevalence, less than 20% of individuals who often always feel lonely or isolated recognize it as a major problem, which is why I started thinking about this. This is actually something that is silently happening, that is really eroding the, the substance and the fabric of our cultures and our people in society and in our workplaces. So... Angel, Sarah, thoughts on those are just two of the things that I pulled out as sort of the big alarm bells that were going off for me. Do you want to each share one data point or something that you took away from the report that you think has got youth really concerned and wanting to take action in this moment? Sure. I'll, I'll just say like you, the health outcomes for someone who lacks social connection really stood out. And one line that I read was that social isolation or even the perception of isolation can increase inflammation in the body to the same degree as physical inactivity. And we know that inflammation in the body is the root cause of a lot of health problems. So it's alarming. It's alarming. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'll add too, I think just in a larger perspective, We know that there is a dose-response relationship to social connection. So when we increase our social connection, we decrease our risk of diseases. And the the reverse is also true. We will increase our risk of diseases when we become less socially connected. And the data in that report is, is pretty clear on the specific diseases. I think I have a couple here. There's a 29% increase in heart disease, 32% in stroke, and about 50% for dementia. And that's obviously the physical, but as I mentioned earlier, like looking at that connection and how the physical well-being or wellness carries over. We now know that for kids and adolescents, those kids that are feeling isolated, particularly because of social media and time spent online, not truly connecting in a meaningful way with people, those kids we're finding up to nine years later have an increased risk of depression and Mm. anxiety. So really looking at mental, emotional, and the physical results of this social isolation epidemic. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the, the data that you've both shared there. Really, it, it alarms me that we aren't talking about this more. And I, I guess what it comes back to for me is it's once again the stigma associated with talking about something that is emotionally connected, that loneliness is considered to be something about an emotional state and you you shouldn't be talking about that or you can't talk about it or you don't feel safe to talk about it. And I think that if this was something that was more directly connected to 
a physical disease, we would have seen a much different response to it. But our work is cut out for us, and that's why we're having this conversation. So, you know, I, I really am excited by the energy that we have to put this on the agenda. I, I think the problem that this causes for society is is obvious. It's going to be healthcare costs. It's going to be very difficult relationships. It's going to be people who are going to be incapable of forming bonds with people and relying on other people as we run the clock forward, what this is going to start to look like for us as society. And, you know, and I don't think that the pandemic helped us with this. Obviously, it basically forced us into isolation physically, but we can't blame the pandemic for this because this is a long-standing, deep-rooted problem that has been with us and has just been compounded by something like the pandemic. There were lots of reasons why we couldn't have social connection with folks. Mm -hmm. But now we are in a place where we've got information. We are, we've moved through the pandemic for the most part. And it's now time for us to be addressing this and specifically as a place where we can have an impact is in workplaces. So I'd like us to shift from the macro, we know that this is a problem in society, to, okay, what does this mean for us in workplaces as a structure of society and what do leaders do about it? So as I was reading through the report, I was I was looking for those clues around, okay, well, what is this going to mean for us at work? And there was a mind-boggling stat that jumped out at me, and that is that stress-related absenteeism attributed to loneliness costs employers an estimated $154 billion annually. So whether leaders realize it or not, because they probably don't know that the cause of some of the absenteeism is actually loneliness. It's, you know, it's not just someone not wanting to come to work or people are being distracted or quite quitting or whatever the case may be. It is actually rooted in this loneliness. And every level of increase in social connection corresponds with a risk reduction across many health conditions, as Angel has spoken about. So what can we do to up the social connection in workplaces so that we can decrease the risk of loneliness for people in the workplace? Because that's a really powerful place. People are there, they're influenced, they have access to resources, they have access to people. We have a brilliant opportunity to really make a difference. But for all sorts of reasons, notwithstanding hybrid working, people aren't going to offices anymore, so they don't have that opportunity to have that physical connection. People are losing interest in their work. We've heard about quiet quitting. So people aren't even interested in their work anymore. It's not even something that brings them together. We have a few huge obstacles to overcome, but at least we've got an idea of where we need to start working at into this. So Angel and Sarah, from where each of you is is sitting, what does it mean for you to, to think about loneliness in the workplace? Like, How do we start to, to solve this in the workplace specifically? I think there's a couple ways. First is to help people feel like they're part of a better infrastructure in the company. So finding smaller pockets where people can make deeper connections and not necessarily just because of the skill set of what they do, but what their interests are outside of the workplace. I was reading that article and I was thinking about, because it mentioned how church and the infrastructure of a church is on a decline, right? People are not attending church the way we did decades ago. And that was such a, a place for social time and gathering. 
And it made me think about my brother-in-law, who is a pastor in a pretty large church in um, Tennessee. And he, his position uh, is a director of social engagement. So he is looking to bring in activities for all of the different demographics that come to that church. So everything from building a coffee house on site for the teenage slash college kids to hosting events for the over 60 adults to the newly married to the, it's just incredible in, in the design and the time that it takes to think about all of these different groups that are coming together with the common bound of religion. So I think we need to be doing that in the workplace and giving opportunities for a deeper level of connection in mm. specific areas. And I've been seeing that, which is really beautiful for some companies that it, it is happening right now. Specific workshops for LGBTQ plus community, specific you know workshops or not even work, workshops, but for a lot of my companies are on site here in San Diego, or I should say um, locally in San Diego. And they do softball, hiking clubs, softball teams. So this is even outside of work that they're cultivating these experiences mm. for people. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point around like not only celebrating the whole human and your interests beyond what it is that you do in your work, but also like how do you use that as an opportunity to reach beyond the workplace boundary? Because that starts to then bridge into someone's life and their impact that you could have on them as a human just beyond work, right? So really, really great point. Sarah, how about for you? Like what are you seeing in your client engagements and just in your view of the world, specifically in the context of workplaces mm -hmm. and why we need to solve loneliness. Well, I think our new hybrid work environments make this even more challenging because so many of us are working from home now and there aren't opportunities to connect in person at the water cooler or at lunchtime. Uh, I personally, I was working at a co-working space before COVID and I looked forward to seeing the same people every day and I had fun with the people that sat around me and people within the building. And I miss that. I'm lonely. I work from home now and it's, it is hard. So I have to be very deliberate about making connection out and leave my house and be around people because that gives me energy. Um, so I, I think leaders have to be a lot more deliberate about how do you humanize each other if we're only seeing each other on screen? What does it look like to connect? So there are simple things like check-ins before each meeting kicks off, right? How are you feeling on a scale of one to 10? Or if you were an ice cream flavor right now, what would it be? You know, fun ways to get to check the mood. Maybe if everyone on your team is saying Rocky Road, maybe you need to take a pause and not dive into the agenda and say, what's going on? What are we worried about here? Is it something happening in our society or at the workplace or what? Uh, but we really need to prioritize humanizing each other in these micro moments where we're connecting online. I also think leaders can, can encourage employees to connect one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's virtual walks they can do together or Zoom time, but, but they have to, again, deliberately make that a priority to help their employees connect with one another. Plan an off-site, do some retreats, plan a dinner. If, if you can get everybody together, I think that's really important. But the way that 
that we work now remotely, I've found for my clients has really hurt team cohesion and connectedness. Yeah, and th- thanks, Sarah. And I think what you're both speaking to there is this the humanization of everything that we do and just recognizing that people aren't inputs into machines. They're actually people who are in the context of work but have lives outside of work and they are, you know, feeling, thinking, acting beings that we can really think about ways of individualizing the connections that we create for people and being mindful of what people need over here versus over there and the connection that we can create for folks by offering all sorts of things to them in in how we set up our structures and our processes and the way that we communicate with one another. We're going to come back to that in a bit, but I I wanted to just dig into a little bit of like from where each of us is sitting, how do we know if loneliness is a problem in the workplace? So like we've basically been working on the assumption with offering some interventions that loneliness is a problem, but how do leaders actually spot whether there is a problem with loneliness? And I mean, knowing that it's a silent thing that we have to deal with, do either of you have an opinion or a perspective on the symptoms that you might see as a, a leader and what impact that's going to have on your team as evidence that loneliness is a problem? I think looking at engagement and trying to measure measure employee engagement, looking at sick leave, are people coming to work or are they taking a lot of days off? Are people leaving and finding other, other jobs? I mean, those are some pretty clear mm-hmm. signs that something's going on and and you might have to be more intentional and ask people, right? If you know this is a problem in our society, a pervasive issue, as a leader in your one-on-one meetings, can you ask, hey, are you, how are you feeling? Do you feel connected to the team? Is there anything I can do to help foster that as your boss? Yeah, I think, Sarah, that was a great point because I was going to say, you don't want to approach this just from the survey that goes out about, hey, how are you feeling at work on this massive level? We need to be dialing it in. And this is a personal issue, so it needs to be dealt with personally. And yeah, like you said, one-on-one meetings, any kind of specific groups that you have that you're working on specific tasks, department meetings, that's when, you know, when it's in a smaller one-on-one or a smaller, you know, group, I think that's the best time to be poking that and, and asking. Yeah. And I mean, what you're both pointing to there is the need for leaders to be mindful and present and to be observing and engaging with people on their teams so that they can start to see trends that are starting to arrive with maybe someone who isn't coming to work every day or looking at that the data around retention and and folks that are leaving voluntarily you know there are there's all sorts of data points but i think the most underrated set of data is what you get from having a meaningful conversation with your direct reports and that requires you to be present as a leader build relationships that are trusting create psychological safety where someone can come and say, yes, I feel lonely. I don't know what to do. I'm in this apartment. I'm working on my own. My family is across the world. I don't have a dog. <laughs> you know, so there's evidence out there for us to to look at that the truth is out there. That kind of sounds like the X-Files, doesn't it? 
<laughs> but really, that it, it, you know, if we can channel, you know, Fox and Mulder here, yes, the, the evidence is there for us. The truth is there for us. We just have to look for it. And we need to be able to take it on board because I think oftentimes leaders can choose not to look at what evidence is in front of them when solving big kind of prickly issues like loneliness at work. Um, okay, so that's great. So leaders have now taken the time to have these conversations. They've looked at the data from their employee engagement surveys. They've started to see some troubling trends. What do they do about it? Like we've talked a lot about making the, the time to have meaningful conversations, creating activities for people to connect. But I think there's sort of two levels of intervention here. One is what we do for people in the workplace, but the other is what leaders are modeling as yeah. behaviors, right? So let's let's maybe dig into it a little bit more in those in those two on those two levels. Let's start with the leaders. You know, what in both of your opinions do they need to be doing? Like what are the the behaviors that they need to be role modeling to help people feel less lonely and more connected? <sighs> How about making sure that we establish some boundaries and we adhere to them about work-life balance? Because that I think is the, you know, working from home, the work week is now 60 plus hours because we're constantly feeling like we should be on because we can just quickly grab our phone and answer an email. And that is disconnecting us in that moment from the time that we want to be doing other things and being with the other people that mm. we value. So mm. I think leaders doing that and really being vocal about their team and staff adhering to it. Yeah, there's a brilliant downstream effect from that, isn't there? When you are creating those boundaries and it's not about giving people permission to not work during non-work hours, but it's more about containing work to the work hours so that people don't feel obligated to take the work into non-work hours and they can go and play Frisbee with their friends or take their dog to the park or whatever the case may be. So yeah, really, really good point, Angel. How about you, Sarah? What what are leaders needing to do in this moment? I think it's impossible to create connections if we aren't vulnerable with each other and leaders need to model skillful vulnerability even in the workplace so they can share when gosh i'm i've got too much on my plate right now i'm feeling kind of stressed or if there's something going on at home they don't have to go into the details but i think it's if they can create the safety within their team to be able to share hey you know i've got something going on at home right now. And so I'm not, I'm not able to show up and it's my best self today or being able to admit when they make mistakes, right? Or if they don't know, these are all moments of vulnerability that can help employees see like, oh, this is a human being. That's my leader. And I can be that way too. And when we when we are vulnerable with each other, that's how we can support each other and connect with each other. But they need to see that from their leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And, and seeing leaders do something is so powerful. And creating structures that support leaders and help enable leaders, I think, is equally important as the leaders themselves showing up in a, in a certain way. And so maybe that gives us an opportunity to go into talking about some of the, the structures and the environments that, that we are creating within workplaces. 
for us at Within People, we think about employee experience through four lenses. And in each of those lenses, they're around connection, reward, belonging, and Emily, help me out with the one I'm missing. (laughs) And flexibility. Thank you, producer Emily, for saving the day. And what we do in in service of our clients with, with those four lenses is we actually make promises around what it's going to feel like to have an experience in this organization. And what that does is it helps us give leaders a set of operating procedures and sort of guidelines with how to show up. But it also gives us the framework and the guardrails for creating the types of environments where we know people can thrive. And so I'd be curious to know, Angel and Sarah, like, what can we do from your perspective and maybe the kinds of work that you do with your clients around how do we create these environments where connection is prioritized and social connection is something that is celebrated and emphasized in our work work environments? Mm-hmm. I'm excited that in the last couple of years, I've seen a bigger push into volunteering and service as an organization going to here in San Diego, we have beach cleanups, Father Joe's villages, a homeless mm. shelter. So to, we, we know that we get a lot back when we provide service and we get more deeply connected to people, those that we're obviously helping, but it builds the bond between the group that's also doing it. So I'm really excited to see that that is happening more and more in the workspace. So that's, I think, a little bit more on the serious side and a little bit more on the playful side. I love bringing the idea of recess back to work. (laughs) Emily's really excited about that. (laughs) Yes. One of my companies, um, which has a call center, they took it to the next level and said, you know what, we value this little break you know, this 10 minute chunk of time in the middle of the day, you know, beginning of the day and towards the end of the day that they put their call center on hold and they say, we'll be back. We're at recess. Give us 10 minutes. We're out there with the hacky sack and the Frisbee or just taking a quick walk around the block with a colleague. So that can happen in space, you know, in a physical space, but Allowing that time, even in the remote workspace, is great because we all know we can have recess when we go for a walk with our dogs, <laughs> just get outside and sit in the sun for five minutes and just get away from mm. the screen that is, you know, we're beholden to. <laughs> That's brilliant. I can already see that our next first agenda item for our, our next hub meeting is going to be about recess. Hey, Emily. So, yes. <laughs> Great steer. Thank you, Angel. Um, And I love that you offered a serious and a playful idea for us. Thank you for that. Sarah, I don't know if you've seen in your line of work or the clients that you've counseled around this, but what are they putting into place to help increase social connection in their workplace? Well, they're doing things like hiring my organization and and other other companies to come (laughs) in and help them because I do think it sometimes it's good to have some outside (laughs) help. I'm able to to interview folks to find out what are the challenges that they're, that they're facing and then support them with various types of trainings. But again, I think the key here is being safe, creating safe spaces for vulnerability and teaching people how to listen well, how to speak from the heart and open up a little bit with their colleagues. I think that that's that's vital 
to creating this connection that we're all looking for. So we can't, I think the play and the fun stuff is, is very important, but we also need to realize that behind every smiling face, there's a worry. And we don't know what that worry is, but when we connect with each other, we, we can connect around that saying, oh, I worry too. My worry is different than your worry, but I know what that feels like. Mm. And because we can connect on that, we feel there's a, a bond that forms. Yeah, you know, I, I think that you raise a really important point there, Sarah, as well, about what you see on the Zoom screen is maybe not what's going on behind you. And so just being really mindful, again, paying attention as leaders is really important to knowing, like to, to getting a measure of what's going on with your people. Angel, I know you wanted to build on what Sarah had said as well. Yes, yes. And definitely make sure that your wellness program is an active program. People aren't passively part of it. And a lot of times when I talk to HR executives, they say, oh, yes, we have newsletter from our insurance company. And and I say, how well received is it? How many clicks is it getting? Oh, and they say, I don't even open them. <laughs> okay, then what's the point of it? Mm. So the benefit to health coaching, which we're seeing more and more in the workplace, is that it gives individuals a chance to, especially the group health coaching, to come together to see the struggles, as Sarah alluded to, from the people that are around you, the similar struggles that people are dealing with. And then just the discussion alone helps people come to a different conclusion about how to proceed, right? So it's really looking at behavior change, but you know, even though we're in a group setting, it's individually impacting each other and how they want to better improve their quality of life. So maybe just up in the ante on what is a wellness program to your company mm, mm. and, um, you know, kind of going with the next, you know, where, where wellness program is going. You know, I really think health coaching is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that touches on another part of the report that I was starting to dig into around like the solving of this problem. And there's this proactive component to what leaders and organizations need to be doing. And that is being more planful around bringing in things like wellness programs and bringing in coaches like yourself, Sarah, to talk about the, you know, the compassion side of, of the, the solution before it actually is manifesting as a problem. So you can get ahead of this by actually looking at what you can do today so that you're not going to be dealing with remedying something, but rather preventing something, which we're not very good at as humans if we look at how we deal with our healthcare, right? So I think the offer is, and, and you know, this is another quote from the, re the report, is that social connection can be a proactive approach to living a fulfilled and happy life, enhancing life satisfaction, educational attainment, and performance in the workplace, as well as contributing to more connected communities that are healthier, safer, and more prosperous. So, you know, from my perspective, we need to be doing these things right now, immediately, before this becomes a bigger problem. But with all the things that leaders have got to deal with in the day-to-day -day working of their organization, how do we promote this problem as the most important thing that people need to be solving today? So maybe I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Angel and Sarah, around like, 
how do we make this like the alarm bells are going off for people without it just being something else that they've got to look at and it becomes it's that proactive thing they don't care to do they'd rather react to it what do you what's your advice how do we or how do leaders well, you can certainly give your opinion too, because you've got a wealth of expertise around having helped yeah. clients create conditions so that they're not dealing with this. So sure, if it's easier for you to talk about from your perspective. Well, yeah, I was it. just going to say, we can do our part by sharing this on our platforms and, and sharing this with our audiences, right? That this is a problem and we all need to be looking at it. And as a leader, again, this takes some courage to, to bring this up and to point it out to folks and say, this matters to me, you matter to me. And maybe as a group, let's figure out how can we combat this as a team, right? I think they have to be deliberate with their actions and, and make this a priority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about for you, Angel? What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with Sarah. It's a matter of prioritization from the leadership level. But as we talked about earlier, making sure that our employees are aware that we want to help them and we're questioning and looking for answers and ways that we can facilitate better social relationships in the workplace. I think with the research that's coming out now, this is going to be, I think we're at the, you know, just the beginning of what is moving forward into this becoming a more important issue that's addressed. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Angela. And I think if we start to aggregate this with other data points that we've got, like we've got the Gallup data around, you know, the fact that 70% of people are not engaged in their work. We've got the, you know, the quite quitting data that is starting to show up. We've got all the data around the great resignation that happened at the tail end of the pandemic. If we start to overlay all those bits of, of information, we're probably going to start to see that the, the lack of social connection is probably sitting at the heart of a lot of that stuff that's going on for us at, in workplaces. So maybe we've been solving the wrong problem all along by trying to enforce engagement in workplaces. We should actually have been trying to build connection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's the opportunity for us to look at as leaders and for us as professionals, as we sit around having these conversations, is just piece by piece building in that social connection. And just to start closing us up here, you know, one of the things that I loved about our conversation when we sat around the, the, the table on Sarah's patio was thinking about fun and play as perhaps the ultimate antidote because that gives us the social connection we need, but it also brings this playfulness and this this energy to us as humans that we had when we were small children. And why can we not re-harness that? And that's why I love the recess idea because it's kind of like the playground, go back to the playground and go and have some fun for five minutes before you come back to to work, right? And maybe the, the offer is, can the whole day feel like recess while still being productive? And I don't know, maybe that's taking it a bit too far for some leaders. Maybe that's a bit scary. But how do we inject this feeling of playfulness into work and bring the connection that that gives us. So just maybe a quick quick closing thought from each of you on that. Well, okay, I'll, I'll kind of take a slightly different approach to that answer if I can, because I think you said finding people that you can play with is mm. really important. And one of the activities I like to do with clients to get them to understand where they're spending time that is not of value to them is to get them to do a like three circle approach around the people in their lives. 
So if you get like a little glass and you draw the base of that glass, you put inside that inner circle, your top five or six people that are your closest, your go-tos, the people that you 100% rely on. That's that circle. Second circle, the next maybe one to 15 people that, you know, you would say that they're friends. They're more than just an acquaintance, but, you know, you don't spend a ton of time with them. And then the last one is your outer circle. Those people like your neighbors, right? Somebody that you would say, I know them, but I don't really, you know, spend a lot of time with them. And then you deliberately look at what do you get out of that relationship with that person? And Mm -hmm. if you're looking at fun and that person is in that second circle and they get you to smile and laugh and feel vibrant, then you need to spend more time with them. And looking at the people that are dragging you down, distracting you, they need to move to the outer edges of that circle. Mm -hmm. So really taking some time to understand, I think, individually what fuels you in relationships and your personal social life will free up your spirit and your energy. And you will, again, of course, be more productive at work when you have all of these other things lined up. <laughs> yeah. What I love about that answer, Angel, is the self-empowerment that sits in there that, you know, even though we are feeling potentially lonely in our lives or in the workplace in particular, because that's the context we're talking about, you have the power to change that as an individual. And yes, we need leaders to be stepping up. And yes, we need to be creating more inclusive environments that help connection. But ultimately, people as individuals have a role to play as well to create connection and to declare what they want from connection. So I I love that exercise that you proposed that that's I'm going to say right now that you are both in my inner circle. And as is Emily, so just know it. I love you. And I want you to stay there. (laughs) Sarah, how about how about for you? How do we inject more play into our our lives at work? Yeah, I'm wondering about rituals at work. How do we celebrate successes? What are ways that leaders, I'm not an expert in play and improv. We have our, our friend Gary Ware that's that's great at this, that companies could bring mm. into lead games. But maybe each day starts with a game or a meeting starts with a certain game to, to make things feel playful. But I like the idea of having rituals sprinkled in, whether it's the way we start meetings or the way we celebrate success or even if it's a ritual around how we handle hard things when someone on our team is, is struggling, what as a team, how do we show up? But having, having these rituals that can center around play and compassion that can help your team feel like they're always feeling this dose of I'm cared for, I'm valued, you care about my experience here at work. And I don't exactly know what that looks like, but I like the idea of rituals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think there need to be those authentic, meaningful, natural rituals that are not forced mm-hmm. on people, that people want to feel part of, that are they feel real and true to your culture as an organization. You know, I think we've, those of us who've worked in, in office-based environments, when you get the email about the, you know, the Friday afternoon social and it's the last thing you feel like doing is hanging out with your coworkers, like it's not that that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's more like the, like what's the fabric of play that you actually bring in that gives you, that celebrates humanity 
in the workplace and allows us to get the benefits of productivity and well-being and the connection, obviously, which is what we're talking about here today. So beautiful. That's going to be a wrap for today. This is a topic that we can go on and on and on about. And I know this will only be the first conversation that the three of us are going to be having. Obviously, we hope that folks will join us in the conversation, that perhaps there's something in what we spoke about today that inspired you to take action, that you will share that with us. You know, obviously, we're hoping that this report will be widely read and readily acted upon so that we can start to make this a far more present problem that we need to be addressing in society and in the workplace, of course. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Angel, for being here, for leading this conversation with me today and for being leaders yourselves in creating environments where people can be themselves, can be fully realized as full humans, and that we can build the workplaces that we know to support beautiful humans in the workplace. So thanks for listening, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation here with us today. Angel, Sarah, how could folks get in touch with you if they wish to continue the conversation with you directly? They can go to my website, workbetterwellness.com, and there's a contact link there. Brilliant. How about for you, Sarah? Same thing, compassionit.com. So the two words, compassionit.com. Brilliant. So please do reach out to Angela and Sarah. Find them on LinkedIn. I know that they're both very active there. If you're in San Diego, the three of us would love to meet you. So please reach out. And thank you for listening. That's going to be a wrap for today. Please tune into our podcast for more episodes on what's happening in the culture and leadership space what's on the minds of leaders committed to change in our community and other future of work content that you might be craving. Reimagining Work From Within is available wherever you listen to podcasts. I wish you a beautiful day and thanks for being here. Whew.